So welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Brian Tillman. Dr. Tillman is a clinician and a scientist as well. Academically, he's an assistant professor in the Division of Vascular Surgery at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And as I said, he's an active researcher. And it's the research aspects we're going to focus on here today. Dr. Tillman, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I know that you have a number of pioneering efforts in the development of specialized stents. Can you tell us a little bit about your work, please? Absolutely. Obviously, my field is increasingly using stents to treat vascular disease. One area that I've chosen to explore is using stents in some non-traditional contexts in both trauma as well as uh, transplantation. So how does a stent get into the trauma business? We routinely use stents for repair of injuries on a elective or sometimes urgent basis in the operating room for patients who've had traumatic injuries to the big vessels or even vessels elsewhere in the body. That's something that's been done for a number of years. The area we really wanted to look at is these patients who have massive hemorrhage from very serious injuries and how our trauma surgeons can treat them on site to stabilize them until the proper specialists and proper equipment can become available for a permanent repair in trauma. So these injuries, are they to the trunk of the body or to the extremities or where? The ones to the extremities are uh, actually easily controlled with manual compression. That is to hold, let's say, a hand over the area of bleeding as most people are taught in first aid. The, The unique thing about injuries of the trunk is that because they're contained within the abdomen and the chest wall, compression doesn't work. And so those are really the injuries that uh, are of the most interest because those are the ones that carry the highest rates of death. And we currently don't have a good way to stabilize those injuries. So the stents I think most people are familiar with are cardiothoracic obstructions. They are, I believe, traditionally placed with a catheter. The stents that you're working on, do they work in the same manner? The delivery actually is similar, so they're delivered through a a catheter, oftentimes through a needle stick access. I think the unique aspect of the stents that we're working with are twofold. Number one, they're retrievable. That facet is useful because it allows the stent to be placed by someone who's not an expert in placement of the stent, so such that it can be removed. And furthermore, it's, it's good when we don't have to leave devices behind when we don't have to by virtue of being retrievable means that once the need for the stent is done, it can be removed. And so ours is actually the first stent of its type that actually has this feature. The second feature is actually one of placement. In the trauma bay uh, where these patients are initially seen, they don't have very dedicated imaging for placement of traditional stents. And so what we've done is to incorporate a very portable handheld system that actually uses radio frequency to tell us where the stent is. And in doing so, it allows trauma surgeons who don't do vascular procedures on a regular basis to place this stent rapidly and with a minimal amount of equipment. And in the context of the military, to even place those in the austere environment of the battlefield where resources may be limited. So how big are these stents? They come in different sizes and different lengths? 
our current stent is a, a set size, and our, our eventual goal is to have a stent that would kind of cover all of the areas of the blood vessel because one obstacle in the trauma bay is that we don't know where the injury is. And sending the patient for imaging adds to further delays and could be of danger to the patient. So our stent that we're working on now would actually cover all of that blood vessel in terms of length. As far as the size, we've actually tried to have a one-size-fits-all concept, and that affords several advantages. Number one, it means that you could have a very limited number of stents in the trauma bay. This means that the surgeon who's available doesn't have to worry about selecting the proper size. Our stent will actually accommodate a wide variety of vessel sizes depending on the size of the patient and the size of their vessels. So I know that your primary focus with this particular research is in terms of injured military personnel, and I believe the work is supported by the Department of Defense, but does this have applications in the civilian sector? Absolutely. An unfortunate uh, consequence of our society is that there's a large number of patients with gunshot wounds or stab wounds. Even aside from those patients, injuries to the liver are a very common problem among trauma patients, including those who are in, let's say, car accidents, who have injury. The liver is frequently wounded and uh, can cause significant bleeding. And so our stent would offer the surgeon the ability to stop that massive bleeding so that the damage can be repaired. And so really in the civilian sector, there's a large number of patients who could be benefited by this technology. So what's the status of your research? Perhaps the bottom line question is, when might it be available for use in clinical applications? The grant which we now have from the Department of Defense has really allowed us to accelerate our timeline. And so we've, we've performed our initial preclinical studies. We're going to be testing our latest model over the next several years and anticipate within about four years to actually be delivering this to live patients. That's a pretty aggressive timeline considering the technology that you're working on. Absolutely. I think the unique thing about this scenario is that the mortality or the the risk of death is so high, and this is such a great area of need. I think it affords us that ability to really move quickly with this technology to try and impact patient care. So I also believe that you have another adaptation of this technology for organ transplantation? Correct. Basically, the solution we're trying to provide is one that's familiar to a lot of people, which is the shortage of donor organs. That's a very profound problem, both in our country and worldwide, which is that there just aren't enough organs in order to supply the demand for patients with organ failure. The reality is that even though there are a large number of potential donors, Thousands of organs get discarded every year as a result of injury from poor perfusion. And so we've developed a different kind of stent, which actually is able to help maintain the blood flow to those organs so that they're not discarded. So tell me a little bit more about this. How does a stent help to realize that outcome? Basically what the stent does is it's dual chambered. That means that it has two areas of the stent. So instead of a stent having just one center lumen like a straw, it actually has two chambers so that you can really separate the uh, physiology of the donor from the blood flow of the organs. And so we're able to actually oxygenate or improve the quality of the blood going to the organs during that critical period when they might otherwise be injured. Just for clarity, the stent is used... After the organ is harvested from the donor? 
the stent is used during the window when the patient is expiring. So these are, are patients who've consented to be donors. And after the time when their uh, life support is removed, this stent allows perfusion of those organs to keep them in their best quality while still not committing the patient to organ donation. In other words, it could be easily removed. And because it's a stent, it's through a needle stick access. So, so you could basically remove the device at any time if needed. Very interesting. So is this particular technology on the same nominal timeline as the trauma stent? It is. Our anticipation is to start examining this in donors in the next several years. And to explore this, we've had a great deal of interest from organ procurement organizations as they look to try and address this uh, critical shortage of organs. And so our expectation is that within a, you know, perhaps a five-year time span that this could be something that could be used to improve that critical donor organ shortage. Very interesting. Dr. Tillman, I'd like to thank you for sharing these uh, pioneering investigations with us today. And I will extend best wishes to you and your colleagues as you pursue the refinement of these technologies. To our listeners, we thank you for listening. I'd like to mention that we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And until we meet again on another podcast, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.